looking again at the sacrifice of biblical worship. We'll read the first two verses, skip down to verses 9 through 11, because most of the story is very familiar. The Bible says, Now when Jesus, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Let me pause here for a moment. Do you ever wonder how they knew? you ever wonder? How did they know there would be one born king of the Jews? Well, we're going to try to answer that question before we finish tonight. Matthew, again, skip down to verse 9, Matthew 2. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They ought to write a song about that. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense, frankincense and myrrh, if I can say it. And I realize this is a story we relate to at Christmas time. And I know Jesse likes to start them Christmas hymns early. But our focus tonight is not necessarily, necessarily on Christmas, but our theme has been worship. And I think in this passage tonight, uh, there are quite a few principles we can draw from this. We spent a couple of weeks in Deuteronomy 26, and we looked at how God told them when they come into the land, he was actually introducing the Feast of First Fruits, and he says, you're to worship me by giving back to me. And I guess in a nutshell, that's what worship is. We're simply giving back to God. Tonight we're looking at, a, I think, another glimpse of worship through giving. And these wise men, what they did, is something that we ought to be doing every day in our lives. Giving back to God. So we're not looking here tonight from the perspective of Christmas, but from the perspective of worship. And hopefully from this chapter, we will be able to learn from these wise men as they worship the Lord, some things we can apply into our life. We're going to highlight the first couple. We did them last week in detail. In verse 2, their worship was intentional. They were very plain when they came to Jerusalem. They said, we are come to worship him. They traveled all that way to do what? To worship him. And it, it's, as you look at these verses, worship is at the center of everything they do. The second thing, their worship was volitional. It was voluntary. 
That's again in verse 2. We are come. Nobody made us. We weren't forced to come. We are come to worship him. So they were determined to come. They traveled a long way. And they were determined when they got there, they were going to worship him. Now, by the way, I'm just going to throw this in. This is free. This may have been a couple of years after the birth of Christ. Because now he's in a house, not in a stable. But nonetheless, they said, we have seen his star in the east. So their worship was an act of their wills. They determined in their hearts, we're going to worship him. And our worship ought to be an act of our will. A choice we make. And not just go through the motion. The third thing we saw last week, it was personal. Verse 11. They fell down when they saw their young child and they worship him. And notice this. They opened their treasures. It was personal. It was real to them. They didn't allow anyone else to worship for them. It was personal to them. I mentioned this last week. One of the problems in America today, in our culture, a lot of people let others do the worship for them. The singing, the testifying, the giving, the working. But these fellows, nah, we're going to do our own worshiping. We're going to worship the king. And one of the reasons that worship is personal for me, and I think you'll agree, I know what God's done for me. I know what he's done. I know how he's changed my life, and he walked with me every day. I know that. And so it's extremely personal to me, and I think you'll agree with that with yourself. The fourth thing in verse 3, the worship was confrontational. As soon as Herod heard the news, we are come to worship the one who is king of Israel. And the Bible says, not only was Herod troubled, so was all Jerusalem. Herod thinking, wow, what do you mean? I'm the king. There's only room for one. But one of the things that amazes me about this story the wise men were not ambiguous in their testimony. They came to worship the king, but it wasn't Herod. It was Jesus Christ. And of course, I realize that the Jews being under the thumb of the Roman government, those in Jerusalem would realize if Herod's not happy, nobody's going to be happy. But what does it mean? You, what are you talking about? The king of Israel. We've heard about that. We've heard the prophecies about that. So not everybody was happy. 
And any time we give ourselves wholeheartedly to God, there'll be some who are not happy. There'll be some in the church who are not happy. Many years ago, there was a couple who attended our church. And I'll never forget it. They came together for a, year, for a couple of years. And uh, not based on my observation, but based on his own testimony. While he was attendant here, he, for the first time, he said, I really got saved. And his life changed. I mean, he was gung-ho for the Lord. And his wife didn't like that. Now, they didn't get divorced, but it wasn't long they dropped out of church. Now, the good news is I heard from them years later, and they did get back in. But a lot of times, even other Christians won't like it if you're totally committed. So it was intentional, it was volitional, personal, confrontational. The fifth thing, we didn't look at this last week, the worship was emotional. You got to be kidding me. Look at Matthew 2, verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasure, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I, if, I hope I'm seeing this correctly. One commentator made the comment that when they arrived, uh, they were filled, overcome with emotion. I believe the emotion began when they saw the star. When they saw the star. Now, I realize the worship didn't actually take place until they got there. But my friend, whatever the travel distance was, Every step they took, they rejoiced because their emotions had overwhelmed them. Exceeding great joy, the idea of exuberant excitement. And, and you know, I, I don't believe it was a difficult journey for them. Now, I know it wasn't smooth road that we have today. But they had that joy in their heart. I can almost see them shouting for joy, jumping for joy, crying and hugging. They were filled with a prospect of worshiping the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I believe that worship, his worship, ought to fill our heart with excitement. With the same emotional power. And let me break the news to you. It's hard to worship without being emotional. It really, really is. And I realize that there are some who would frown upon emotion in service. And there were some who would say, well, they're just doing that in the flesh. 
And I thought about that. But then I realized everything that I do is in the flesh. Isn't that right? Everything. Now, understand, it's when I don't do it in the power of the flesh that makes a difference. When I do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. When God speaks to my heart and that joy and that excitement overflows. And what's interesting, that kind of worship doesn't have to be pumped up. It flows as a result of being filled with the presence of God. And I, I want to say, and I realize there are some who are faking it. It's all in the flesh. I realize that. But there's nothing wrong with emotional worship. One of my mentors in my walk with God, Brother Pierce Fields, he and I were talking about this one day, and I don't remember exactly why the subject came up. And he said he was in a worship service one time, and uh, he said God's Spirit was really moving. He said some folks were just out loud giving God praise. Some were raising their hands. Some were shouting. And he said all I could do is sit there and tears just streamed down my face. And he said, somebody came up to me and said, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you worshiping? And Brother Pierce feels in all the way he could. said, you have no idea what's flowing from my heart tonight. Everybody worships differently. We all do. But it's an emotional thing to worship. And so there's nothing wrong with emotion and worship as long as the Spirit of God that is driving that emotion. That people are genuinely excited for what God is doing in their life. Did you realize the Bible calls on his people to shout and clap their hands in praise to him? Psalm 47.1 Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Psalm 98.4 Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Shout joyfully unto the Lord. The Bible also says to lift our hands to him in praise. Psalm 63, verse 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. I appreciate your song this morning, Jazz. You're special. But one thing that thrilled me the most, you couldn't help but raise your hand <laughs> to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, if that's not your thing, that's fine. But all worship ought to be joyful. It ought to be exuberant. Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So the bottom line is this. As long as people worship him from their heart, that's what matters. Maybe it's not your thing. That's okay. 
But whatever we do, let's worship him from our heart. Everybody is wired differently. I realize that. But I want to tell you, I don't care who you are, everybody's emotional to some degree. Yeah. Some more than others. So worship the way God created you and let others do the same. So their worship was emotional. But also their worship was effectual. Verses 3 through 8. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least of the among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. What a liar. Verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasure, they presented him gold, gifts of gold and fragments and myrrh. And notice verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed in their own country another way. The fact that they had come to worship had an effect on Herod. It had an effect on Jerusalem, but it also had an effect on the scribes. Now think about this in your mind. When they heard that these men, however many they were, had come to worship the king of Israel. All of their sudden, their minds went into gear. They began to think about what they said. It caused them to think about the things of God once more. And Herod asked these scribes, give me the details. And it caused them to search the scriptures. It amazes me that several times through the years, <laughs> I'm going to be careful here, but somebody comes with a crazy idea that Jesus is going to come next week. Several years ago, a friend of ours called us, and as far as I know, they were Christian before we were. And she said, did you hear about the red heifer they found? Well, the problem is, people hear about that, and they don't realize it's been in the Bible all these years. And there's a purpose for it. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a sign that Jesus is coming next week. But again, these scribes realize they read about that. And, and they were the lawyers of the Scriptures. They knew the Bible, the Old Testament. 
And, and they realize there's something here. We're not sure, but we know the Bible speaks about it. And, and so it had an effect on the wise men and they're rich with God and they were brought to a place of closeness and intimacy through their worship. So why did these men leave their, leave their homeland? How did they know about the promise of a Messiah? Well, we can't be to know this for sure. But more than likely, they left their homes based on an Old Testament prophecy. Numbers 24, verse 17. And before I read it, this is Balaam speaking. A backslidden preacher. And uh, certainly, God would judge him later for causing the children of Israel to commit adultery and intermarriage with the people of the land. But when Balaam did speak this time, God gave him what to say. And look what he says. Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but now, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. I find it kind of interesting, this backslidden prophet was given a prophetic sight like Abraham had. And God told Balaam, there will come a star out of Jacob. He told Balaam, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This is Hebrew poetry because they both mean the same thing. And the imagery here speaks of some imminent ruler. And my friend, when God says the star is coming, guess what? It's coming. Now, we say this all the time, and it's true biblically. A lot of prophecies have a near future fulfillment and a far-reaching fulfillment. So basically, primarily, this is about David, King David. But also understand, preeminently, it's about Jesus Christ. There's a star rising out of Jacob. All we know about the starting point of these magi, they were from the east. And some scholars believe that in their homeland, there were probably documents there that they had studied. Even some documents written by Daniel, Ezekiel, 
or other Jews who had been there as captives. So they came and worshipped because of what they read, but I also have to believe that God spoke to their heart. Now's the time. Now is the time. And their worship brought them to a place of greater intimacy with God. And again, I don't understand all the ramifications here. But evidently, these men had a heart for God. Why else would he reveal himself to them? Why why else would he direct them to that star? So he's moving in their lives in a powerful way. And when they get to Bethlehem, they humble themselves before him in worship. The folks make a mistake about it. Genuine worship is still effectual. It affects the world around us. It affects those in worship with us. Whenever we as people of God, whenever we are engaged in genuine spirit-guided worship, a lost world will have to take notice. There's something genuinely different. But it will also affect us. It will cause us to be drawn deeper into his worship. That's what worship does. does. And as we worship him, we find that God becomes more real to us. And I want want you to know tonight, and you know this, the more you know of him, the more you want to know of him. The closer you draw to him, the closer you want to be to him. I don't want you to raise your hand, but you ever come to church discouraged? You ever come with a lot of things in your mind? Isn't it amazing how just a few moments of praise will encourage our hearts? Isn't it amazing how it will change our perspective? Especially as our focus shifts from our situation to the Lord. Focusing on Him. Now, by the way, and I think you already know this, but worship can happen anywhere. It can. You can worship at home. And if you're like me, it's kind of dangerous, but I worship while driving down on a car. I keep my eyes open. But I'll be listening to some preacher on the radio and it'll speak to my heart. I can't help but give God praise and worship Him. So how does worship affect us? Number one, it connects us to the heart of God. It's our response. First Chronicles 16, 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Second of all, it causes us to realize who we are before the Creator. C.S. Lewis said this, In worship we enter, touch, and are touched by the presence of God. 
We have been created to live like that. Amen. But it also has some very powerful effects on us. Number one, it clar- clarifies our vision of who God is. Isaiah 6.1 In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy. He's the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. Worship changes our perspective. The second thing. Same chapter, chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me. For I'm, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean lips, for mine, a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar, and laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. We don't have cable TV, so we don't get some of these TV preachers. Some years ago we did through regular antenna, I don't know what happened. And we hear guys like Jesse Duplantis and how he went, God called him into heaven, he saw God, and how his face was glowing. My friend, when you see God, your face doesn't glow. You fall down and you worship him. When Isaiah saw the Lord highly, it changed the perspective. Isaiah said, Lord, I realize I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live with people of unclean lips. But thank God, God purged him from his sin. And when God said, who will go? Abraham said, here am I. Send me. It changes our perspective. The third thing that worship does, it strengthens our heart. Psalm 103, verse 5 verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. They ought to write a song about that one, too. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. There's something about counting our many blessings. Something about taking the time and naming them one by one. It's amazing when we pause for that time and realize everything that God has done for us. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, renewal, 
And my friend, when we focus on that, it will lead us to praise Him. The fourth thing it does, worship reassures us, gives us the assurance that even when we are discouraged, God is with us. You ever need that? I do. Psalm 73, 23, verse 26. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This morning, Jesse read from the book of Micah. (laughs) And it was sort of heartbreaking to hear again how Micah described the people of his day. You know what? Micah said, "That's okay. I don't like that, but I'm not going to let it tear me down. I will wait on the Lord. I will wait on the Lord. Worship strengthens our heart. It encourages us, reassures us that God is still here when we are discouraged. And finally, number five, worship produces joy. Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I tell you what amazes me tonight is God allows me to worship Him. He allows me to approach the throne of grace, to enter in the Holy of Holies, to worship Him any time I want to. Let's stand together. Aren't you glad for God tonight? Yes, indeed. God has been so, so good. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Jesse, you told me this morning the offering was a little less than 900 this morning. Is that correct? Uh, we praise, praise you for that tremendous offering. A lot of folks were out, and I know there are some that will be giving you know, in a week or two ahead. Uh, of course, Rick's out of town. It'll be a while for me. But thank you so much.